Attention Patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K R I S A N N E H A L L dot com. Liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. So, those of you who are watching us on YouTube, you notice that we are not in our home studio. And so, um, we don't look the same. <laughs> we are on the road. 20, um, what is it? Liberty Tour 2019 kicked off yesterday in uh, Fort Pierce, Florida. We had a great meeting with the Republican Liberty Caucus of Fort Pierce. And uh, tonight we will actually be teaching in Miami, Florida. And then tomorrow morning we fly to um, we fly to Texas. And in Texas, we are going to have a series of meetings in Texas. We have the gun training, the In Defense of Liberty training that starts Friday night in Gainesville, Texas, where we'll be teaching a lesson on the uh, right to keep and bear arms, its origin and the threats. How to identify, really teaching us how to identify the threats against our right to keep and bear arms, even when they're legislative. And so um, that's a Barb Texas barbecue, and you can find out about that by going to chrisannhall.com. And then Monday and Tuesday, we will be teaching in Dallas, Texas. So if you are listening to the show, you are in the Dallas area or within driving distance to the Dallas area, go to chrisannhall.com and check out our meetings Monday and Tuesday. Monday night is an evening meeting. And Tuesday is a luncheon. So make sure you go to chrisannhall.com and check that out for, uh, so that you can come and we'd love to meet you. We had a great meeting last night. It was packed out, a bunch of liberty-loving people, and we taught about state sovereignty. And uh, I don't know if I remembered, but uh, you can always find us at chrisannhall.com. K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are always liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Now, I think we had, um, Gigi said that we had almost 60 people last night in, in the room in the restaurant, and it was, it was sold out. And she said next time she's going to get a bigger room. But what do you think, JC, was the median age the of of the people in the room that night uh no idea no idea uh you put me on the spot i sorry i just i thought it would be a quick guess ah, i don't know okay well so there wasn't anybody younger than us in the room no. that night so anywhere between I, the age of 70 and 50 would be i don't know how to tell the that population. unless it's blatantly obvious i mean yeah. today people 
I mean, well, I see people true. 80 that look 50. Right, so right. I have well, no idea. Right. Well, but generally speaking, there wasn't anybody under the age of 45 in there. I, I think we were, well, maybe a couple. So let's say 35, right? So nobody under the age of 35. And I'm just trying to make a point here. So nobody under the age of 35. And I asked the typical questions about the Constitution. Uh, you know, the, the Christmas Addicts question, the Merciotis Warren question. And then we taught on state sovereignty. And in that room, with the exception of the, the students that were, there were actually Liberty First University students in the room, the majority of the people in that room had no prior knowledge of the Constitution of these people or of what we were teaching. So I just have to reiterate here because there's this, this common theme that, that spreads throughout America that there's a generation of people that we can identify as a millennial generation who do not understand the Constitution. And the big, the big joke today is Ocasio-Cortez and the ignorance that she has and the love that she has for socialism. But that's supposed to be identifying of her generation. But I'm trying to explain that that, that lack of knowledge of the Constitution spans the majority of population in America simply not understanding how the Constitution is supposed to work and how the states are supposed to work to maintain the federal government and how, you know, the, the supremacy clause. I mean, the, the looks on the people's faces when we go through the supremacy clause and we explain that the supremacy clause does not create a supremacy of the federal government over the states and it does not create state or federal law being supreme over everything of of the things that i teach in the state sovereignty class when you see the people's looks on their faces when when that truth about the supremacy clause just just drops in it's amazing because it's it's shock it's it's amazing i think it's it's a little bit of awe at the simplicity of it but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people are really annoyed at the realization that, that they've been duped their whole life. And so this, all of this is running through my mind, and I come across this Washington Post article about Beto O'Rourke. Now, I don't know what people think about Beto O'Rourke, but Beto O'Rourke is your age. He was born the same year as you. So that does not make him a millennial. But I think that people look at him and the way he speaks and they identify with him this millennial age group. And I think the millennials identify with him, right? Because he speaks in their, um, in their, their, their knowledge box, right? So he talks about the things. On purpose. On purpose, that resonate with them, right? And so in this article... that's... You, okay. I, I get you, you. So that explanation to me is... A, is So coming from the point of the millennials, a millennial-focused explanation. Mm -hmm. So I would flip it, mm -hmm. right? You said they relate to him, they da-da-da-da. 
he is specifically tailoring how he speaks and how he relates to target them. Yes. That yes. I mean, so that's it's not it's not like hey they found a guy that's like them. No, he studied them. He knows what to say, how to say. So Beto is is just packaged that way. So right. that's on purpose. He, yeah, he's he's packaged the way Barack Obama was packaged. Correct. I he I wouldn't be surprised oh, if Beto has the same handlers that Barack Obama had big because time they're because the same Manchurian kind of thing going on. Absolutely. There. I one of the most poignant moments for me during the Barack Obama campaign uh, was actually after I think after he won. So right after the election and the first time and we. We happened to be, it was late at night, and, and Charlie Rose was on. I don't know if it was still <clears throat> PBS. I guess he was always on PBS. I don't know. But anyway, it was the Charlie Rose show. And he's sitting there discussing, I don't know who he's talking with, some other egghead. And he, and he starts talking about how he goes, it's amazing. This is amazing. And he said, you ever think about the fact that we really still don't even know who this guy is? Yeah. And he is Barack Obama. Now, he and others had spent, you know, two years pumping this guy up and just this is the man and all that, you know, carrying his water. And then once he's elected, he turns and admits we don't know who he is. And he begins to explain in this whole scenario uh, how Barack Obama operated. And Charlie Rose described him as a as a blank screen, right? He presented himself as a blank screen and allowed the populace to project onto him. So Barack Obama was whoever he was to that particular person because that person could project their hopes, their dreams, their desires, what they wanted him to be. And Barack Obama did this. By never really saying, or at least in the in the mass public forums, the speeches and all the things that you would hear in the sound bites, never really getting down to specific a lot of specifics. Mm-hmm. Now there are plenty of interviews. This is one thing Hannity brought out back at that time when Hannity really was at the front of kind of exposing this guy. He went into his history, his details, and those sort of one-on-one interviews where Barack Obama would lay out exactly what he planned to do. He was very specific in the one-on-one sort of journalistic interviews like in magazines. There was one famous in San Francisco Chronicle, and he laid out what he was going to do, destroy the coal industry, mm-hmm. you know, all this kind right. of stuff. But in the sort of what what went out to the masses, it was never really taking a stand, these sort of real generalities and Beto O'Rourke does the exact same thing. He uses right. the exact same technique. Well, and that's the one thing that uh, is interesting about this Washington Post article. The Washington Post article is, uh, let me see if I can pull this up here on, on YouTube for us. But the Washington Post article is Beto O'Rourke's immigration plan, no wall, few specifics. Yep. And that's 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 O'Rourke, to, like you said, to to the to a T. He does not speak in specifics, but I believe now I'm I'm kind of a lot of people don't want like the Washington Post. Me old dad used to tell me, don't give them specifics, boy. <laughs> Robert Francis, don't tell them what you're going to do, boy, if you want to be president. And yeah. you've got to appeal to the Hispanics. Right. Even though you're a Catholic Irish Irish an Irish Catholic. <laughs> he, you look at the picture of him. If you don't, if he doesn't have his whole beard and yeah. grunge look going, he, he looks like he could be a Kennedy. He looks just like I think he looks just like JFK Jr. 
uh, in a lot of ways. But um, nonetheless, when we get back from the break, I want to talk about this Washington Post article in a, in, in a detail because I believe that this Washington Post article gives us more about Beto O'Rourke than Beto O'Rourke actually wants us to know. So when you take the details of what he, the, the few specifics that he is saying, and then you, uh, then you, you, you shine the light on those things from, from, uh, you know, from an insightful perspective, comparing words and phrases with words and phrases, I think that we can learn a lot more about Beto O'Rourke from this article uh, than you might first anticipate. So stick with us, and we will be right back after this break. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, jumping in a little bit early on the break. <laughs> I got distracted in my own mind. And uh, so I thought, well, hey, we'll jump back here a little bit early. Uh, you know, I just want to point out that uh, when I was talking about the group that, that I was teaching last night, I don't, the, the people that I'm talking about actually admitted that, that this stuff was new. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not making any derogatory comments on our group. These were, this was the actual realization that our group came to last night, all raising their hands going, I had no idea. This is amazing. And this state sovereignty class is how we fix our problems. By the way, state sovereignty is how we fix the border wall problem to begin with. And it's something that I think is, is just simply not being discussed. And so I want to talk about this article with Beto O'Rourke on um, the... Uh, it's Robert uh, Francis O'Rourke. Robert, Robert Francis O'Rourke, right. Uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke, and it's interesting because he he says some very telling comments, and he talks about uh, I I don't know if you caught this JC, but um, he says that uh, he believes that the border is secure, that there is no place where people can leak through, and I I, find I also believe there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow too, so. <laughs> You have to take my opinions on the border with a grain of salt. Yeah, right. But we've, you've all seen the places where, I mean, I don't know if you watched the YouTube video with me uh, and who was that, who who that was doing, oh no, it was, um, oh, what's the guy who does the investigative journalist. Yeah, right. So he's, he's at the border. There's just like a pole. That's it. I mean, it's not even a fence. It's like a pole. And so for Beto O'Rourke to actually make this claim that the border is actually secure is ludicrous. And I want to tell you uh, where I think this comes from. There's this phenomenon that we see as we travel across America. The people who believe like Beto O'Rourke, who live in the cities, as if the cities 
are indicative of the entire population. You get Tegan, Tegan, our our intern, right? So she interned with us. We're driving through the country. She's like, I don't get where all of these people say that we are we are suffering from overpopulation in America. And she actually wrote an article for us about how these people are focused on the cities and they think because they're shoulder to shoulder and, and arm in arm in the cities that it must be like that all over the country. Anybody who's driven through America, you know it's not like that. Well, Beto O'Rourke is touring through El Paso and then claiming that the entire wall, the entire border is secure. So I think that's an extension of that, that, um, that city-centric mentality that what you see in the city is everywhere, right? So we're overpopulated and the border is secure because look at the wall in, in El Paso, right? But I find it interesting as well, and we're going to compare this because those of you who have been listening, you, um, you know that we talked about... Um, we, we talked about Ocasio-Cortez's green plan, the Green Deal, the New Deal for the Environment. Well, it should be no shock to you that Beto O'Rourke is in favor of the Green Deal, right? So he's pushing that. Well, one of Beto O'Rourke's contentions with the wall is that he says that it will cause the unlawful seizure of private property. So what he said what he's saying is in this article is that to build the wall eminent domain will have to take private property from the people to build this wall and that's one of the reasons why he's against this and that's what he says in this article yet he supports the green deal which we clearly showed will be an unlawful taking of private property, private industry. It will uh, raise the cro- costs of, of your, of your uh, energy costs. It will drive things through the roof. It will shut down industries. And so is he really concerned about private property rights? Because that's what he tries to make it sound like in this article. I'm all for private property rights, right? And then he's for this Green Deal. This is the double-mindedness that we see in these kinds of people because... It's called lying. Well, because they don't have an attachment to real principle. And I think when we come back after the break, the one thing that I really want to cover in this shows us where this double-mindedness actually comes from. Can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. We're going. Uh, we're we're discovering who is Beto O'Rourke today. I think because you're going to have to read the between the lines because he's going to be trained like Barack Obama to say as little as possible. He's not as good. He's not. You don't think he's as good as Barack Obama? No, he's already 
falling on his face. Yeah, I don't know. I I think he still has time it's, to be this trained. It's easy to catch him in lies and inconsistencies. Yeah, especially in this article. I mean, it's very simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Right. It's his principle. What's his principle? Beto O'Rourke, what's your principle? My principle is I want to be president. Yeah. That's my principle. Right, right, right. That's it. As simple as that. So he's going to say what he thinks he needs to say at the moment. And he and he doesn't know much of anything. You look at you look at the comments, even from his colleagues. It, uh, what was funny to me, um, who was that Gutierrez uh, in in Congress is like, oh, we're glad Beto O'Rourke suddenly interested in immigration. Yeah, like you, he represented <laughs> a, a border a Texas border district, you know, pr- almost totally Hispanic district. Right. And people forget, or people don't know. The guy was in Congress for six years. Right. Beto O'Rourke, right. what did you do on immigration for six years? Well, I was busy listening to conversation and discussion. I love conversation and debate and discussion. Well, in this, ar- in this <laughs> right, article, that's what he says. In this article he claims discussing. that there was no discussion about immigration. He's, he's heard no discussion about immigration, and we need yeah. to have discussion. We, we need to have a conversation. That's what they, you ask him about every position. And he goes, well, we, we just need, the American people just need to talk about it. And then, and then they'll come up with the idea. So he knows nothing. Mm-hmm. He takes a stance on nothing. He embraces the general progressive uh, ideology and platform. But he makes no sort of legislative suggestion, no action, no nothing. I don't know. Let's just have a discussion with the people. We just need to debate this. That's his answer to everything. We just need to debate this. And then, and then he, like Barack Obama, then he appeals. He, he does this, this, it's just really just stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, totally transparent. Uh, he 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 does this sort of mushy appeal right. uh, to the people. The, we just need to have a debate because Americans are so smart. Americans are smart people and full of wisdom. And if you and give them the opportunity, yeah, they they're good people. Americans are still good people. And if you give them an opportunity, they're going to come to the right decision. So we just need to simply have a debate among the people. Listen to what the people say. Democracy. Right. That, that's his answer to everything. And these gullible, idiotic Democrat voters eat this stuff up. He's a liar. He simply wants power. I want to be president. That's his motivation. So he's he, I understand he, he uses that. I understand that he's a liar. I understand that he is just speaking uh, what he thinks will resonate to the crowd. But the point that I want to make here is that this is in this is a reflection of the crowd. Right. This may not be right. This may not be who Beto O'Rourke is, but this is who Beto O'Rourke people are. And we'd better wake up and realize that the Beto O'Rourke people are becoming the leaders of America. The Beto O'Rourke people are becoming those uh, the the new generation of those in charge. Let's be clear. Beto O'Rourke is a Marxist, Bolshevik, Maoist. Okay. He, and but he is so trying, is a massive number of the younger generation. He is trying. He's he's saying everything that he believes is acceptable to say in in this new Marxist generation, mm-hmm. and then he's still trying to conceal what they think is going too far. So. If you look around, we talked about this, the things that are now acceptable, because like you say, there's so many mm-hmm. uh, of this generation that has been indoctrinated in this in this Bolshevik. And there's so many of our generation that don't know how to actually 
uh, reach people with the, the truth about the Constitution? How do you counteract the Bolshevik message when, when those who are supposed to be fighting against the Bolshevik message don't have a funda- fundamental understanding of what a constitutional republic works and how our Constitution is supposed to work? By the way, I heard Michael Savage say that. So call them Bolshevik now. Don't, yeah. don't call them liberal or socialist, whatever. He, he That was an excellent show. Yeah, that, that was a good show. laid out this thing the other so day. So let me, let me point this out now. But that's who they are. That's who this guy is. Don't, just don't forget that. I want to listen. That, that should be, that's what we should be pointing out. And that's because what you're talking about, they don't know. These people have to be educated on it. And when mm-hmm. you said uh, so many of our generation, let's, let's remember the generation that studied uh, Americanism versus communism. That's older than us. Right? Yeah, that's right. the older generation now. That's actually so the, a, the baby boomers were the end of that training. Yeah. So a lot of the people, like all the retirees are sitting back, look like the people at the at the meetings that start like kicked off the tea party. Uh-huh. Okay. That's all those people that took Americanism versus communism mm-hmm. and they were freaked out. Mm-hmm. Whereas our generation, you and I and you know, forties and fifties, even early some early sixties, right there on that borderline. Um, I would say a majority of our generation really mm-hmm. does not have a connection, a, a strong connection with this. To to, to well, be and so understanding American, the, the difference between Americanism and communism doesn't give you the background, uh, the specific background on how the federal government's supposed to work. No, and no, the I, intricacies yeah, no, of the you're right about that. I, I, so but I'm talking about that's recognizing. That's what I'm talking about. Right, exactly. Like so they won't recognize this guy. In this article, Washington Post. It says, Beto O'Rourke boomeranged between a bright-eyed hope that the United States will soon dramatically change its approach to a whole host of issues and a dismal suspicion that the country is incapable of implementing sweeping change. And when asked uh, which is... Uh, which it is, O'Rourke paused. So does he have... uh, Is he pessimistic or optimistic is the question. And here is Beto O'Rourke's answer. Quote, I am hesitant to answer because I really feel like it deserves its due and I don't want to give you, uh, actually, just selfishly, I don't want a soundbite of it reported. But yeah, I think that's the question of the moment. Does this still work? Mm -hmm. Can an empire like ours with military presence in over 170 countries around the globe, with trading relationships and security agreements in every continent, can it still be managed by the same principles that were set down 230-plus years ago? And that's the core message that you need to receive. And this is what I think you were getting at by saying there is a crowd out there that that operates by his same philosophy right because exactly. this because here and listen up this is the this is the core right here right when he says let's debate it let's discuss it what is he talking about why is he saying that so you have on the one reason him being non-specific because he wants to get into the presidency but but why one of the reasons why is he being non-specific he doesn't want to be pinned down Right. So that someone can build targeted opposition against him. Mm -hmm. Number two, he doesn't want to reveal what he actually wants to do. Number one, 
And number two, what he actually wants to debate. When right. he says we need to debate, we need to discuss, he knows this crowd is out there who is interested in getting rid of or fundamentally altering our Constitution. Yes. That's why he wants to open it up to the debate to bring in those Marxist, Bolshevik, Maoist to have this discussion and, and get that snowball rolling down the hill that ultimately ends up in fundamentally transforming this nation as Barack Here's Obama the point that I want to make, started though. out trying we, to do. Th- this, this argument, why are we... Why do we have a military presence in 170 countries around the globe? This is something that resonates with the many generations in America. Why are we all over the globe? It's, how, it's, right? it's the one reason why so, Obama got elected. Right. So here's the point I'm trying to make. Everything that he says about this calling us an empire and having a military presence in over 170 countries around the world he is blaming the Constitution, but in reality, what we're dealing with is 150 years of operating contrary to the Constitution that has allowed us to have a presence in 100, a military presence in 170 countries exactly. across the world. The trading relationships that we have in America today are because we have ignored the Constitution for 150 years. The relationships that we have in foreign realm, the, the, the way our government operates domestically are all the direct results of the fact that we have, uh, we have ignored, we have, uh, we have illegally modified, we have illegally circumvented the constitution for 150 years. And so what we have now is a generation of people who have been raised in complete ignorance about the Constitution. It's a slave document. It's a misogynistic document. It is a document of oppression. It is a document of corporate power. It is a document that encourages corporatism. It is the document that gives your Congress power. It is the document that gives your president power. And all of these things are so far out of whack that we have generations of people now blaming the Constitution for the actions of people who are circumventing the Constitution. Compound, compound that by a fact of the older generations who have no way of actually articulating the error that is being presented. Yeah. No, you need to, need to tweet to this guy and get a message to Robert Francis that the Constitution doesn't create empire. Right. Operating contrary to the Constitution is what has created empire. So here we have now this, this conundrum for me. It's a constitutional conundrum. Because what we have now are the, the, the so-called conservatives and the people who are the patriotic group, whatever, now coming, and I'm talking big names out there of people who who consider themselves constitutionalists who are now uh, supporting what would otherwise be uncon- recognized as unconstitutional authority by the president because they like the president. Or maybe they're not a sycophant, but they like the result of what the president will do. Or they're desperate over the issue. Or they're We've desperate over the issue. We've got to secure the borders. Right, exactly. Right? So, if the, so if Congress won't do it, then the president has to do it. He has a duty to do it, so he needs to do it. 
There so, is so it's okay if the president operates with power he's not delegated because it has to be done. You know, and that's something... And that's I, the kind of power you're going to hand somebody like O'Rourke. Yeah, right. And that's the point that I want to make. These people are coming next, so you better be careful about what you're delegating. I'm a long, long way from my home And I'm going to change all the things I find The Chris Van Hall Show Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. JC, I just have to tell you, I am I'm really concerned and alarmed by this otherwise these otherwise constitutionally people constitutionally minded people saying this is the remark that they're making about the border. If Congress doesn't act, then the president has the duty to act. Well, I don't find that in Article Two. It's not there. And that is a complete. That's what kings say. That's right. Exactly. So I want to ask this question. Does that apply? What Charles I said. Does that just apply to the borders? Right. Right. So if Congress fails to pass a tax, does that mean the president needs to do that? Don't, don't you if remember Congress that? fails to to make a treaty, but does the, the president have the autonomy to do that, too? Where does listen, that end? Listen, those same people. Remember, those same people fought against Obama. That's an that's a direct quote from Obama. Mm-hmm. Remember, he yeah. said, if Congress doesn't do it, we, I'll have to act. Right. Exactly. That's what Obama oh, my said. goodness. Well, thank you for pointing that out to me, because in my in my fervor of in my passion and in, in amazement that these words are coming from people who who I would normally respect in the matter of the Constitution. You're exactly right. Barack Obama pulled his cabinet together and said, if if Congress will not legislate, we'll regulate. Mm-hmm. If Congress will not pass laws, I will. I have a pen and a phone. He sat down with his cabinet and said, look, we're going to find ways to get around Congress. We're going to try to find legal ways to get around Congress. And now you have the same people. And I, I it just, oh my goodness, JC, it totally breaks my heart. And to be honest with you, it's really got me, it put me briefly in a reflection mode. Because I actually went back and I thought, what am I missing here? What am I missing here? Because I'm reading Federalist 69. One of the most poignant documents on the limit of presidential power saying, look, we intentionally did not give the president the authority to autonomously act because we wanted to prevent this king mentality, not just the king power in the president, but the king mentality. We wanted to make sure we didn't have that. And so I'm reading Federalist 69. I'm reading the ratification debates. I'm reading the text of the Constitution. There is nothing in Article 2 that says if the, pre- if the Congress doesn't act, then the president must. Yeah, the president gets their power, right? The right. president now has, how it has all the par- power of Article 1 because Congress is not doing it. That's the weird thing. Why that is bizarre. Doesn't to me. Article that One is apply to legislature? Bizarre. That's the yes. legislative branch, right? Well, well, you know what's so amazing. So how could you point to Article One and say, "Okay, so the president can do this"? Right. What? Right. Well, you also I, have I you also have a little over half of Article Two, which is the the article that creates the office of the executive branch. You got a little over half of Article Two not having actually even delegating power to the office of the president, but describing Congress's role. 
over the president. But so you got to get to the end of Article 2 before you actually get to the delegation of power. And what we need to realize is there is the only autonomous authority delegated to the office of the executive is to issue pardons for federal crimes. That's it. Everything else has to happen with the consent of the Senate or with the consent of Congress. And this idea, it's like you said, the idea that, well, if Congress doesn't, then the president can. No! And I'm just... And I think this comes from, like you said, the generations of people of frustration. Frustration over the lack of, of, of... Frustration over a feckless Congress and frustration, internal frustration, because... People don't know what to do well, this because is also we've denied the education of state sovereignty. We have vilified state sovereignty. We have uh, denigrated state sovereignty so that it becomes a what? It, what is what is that one guy call it? Neo Confederacy. You're a slave owner if you want state sovereignty. This part of the the technique of controlled opposition gets this as well when you. You make an enemy that people are so upset or some situation that they're so upset about or they're so desperate about, then you can get them to do what you want them to do, contrary to their interests. You know, so the bo- you make the border situation so bad, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. You create these crises and you create these enemies and you create these emergency situations, desperate situations. And people people are driven by this. The, the ends Jefferson, justifies the means. Jefferson said that if the states allow their power to to slip into the Washington, D.C. Gulf, which is to swallow all through apathy and inaction. He said we will weep over a government that is formed only controllable by a rod of iron. He was referring to the fact that without our states, we become a kingdom. So we'll see you guys tomorrow. God bless.